This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 548. And the quote of the day is, happiness and freedom begin with a clear understanding of one principle. Some things are within your control, and some things are not. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. And beyond. And beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 548, and it's been a little while since I've released an episode, and I sent an email out about this on this past Friday, but I want to explain it to everyone to let you know what's going on with the show. So every year, I always tell people that we've released an episode every Monday since November of 2013, and I always say we've never missed a week, and that's... Not entirely true. The first year of NAM, or the first year that this this show was out, 2014, we missed the Monday of NAM because I was doing all the editing myself. I didn't have Justin uh, working with me then, and I just couldn't get an episode out because I was too busy with NAM. And then we sort of just kept that tradition where the Monday of NAM we wouldn't release an episode. So we've done that every single year if you look back. And so the, so technically we miss one Monday every year, but it's a planned skip. Uh, but what happened was the week of Nam, I had an un- unfortunate uh, death in the family. And so I dropped everything and basically didn't work for about two weeks. So that, uh, that since it was right around the time at Nam, it seemed like there was a, I mean, there was a longer gap, but so we didn't release an episode for two weeks. And so the show is not thinning out. We're not, uh, going to an every other week model or anything like that. It was just a, a uncertain, uh, unfortunate circumstance at a inopportune time. So it seemed like we were missing a lot, a lot of time, but, uh, we're back regularly scheduled program. So, but just wanted to let you guys know what's going on with that. And I think some people, People are probably thinking, well, we don't need to know all that information. But like I said in the email, I consider you part of the family. I want to let you know what's going on with the show at all times because without you, there is no show. And so that's that. And I'm going to get right into this conversation. And this is with the extraordinary Madam Gandhi. And so I met Madam Gandhi because we produced the LP podcast and we met there and I told her, you know, at some point I would love to have you on the podcast and we finally made it happen. And we recorded it at her downtown LA loft and it is an amazing space. And when you meet Madam Gandhi, she is the type of person that just exudes amazing energy. She is so kind and and very, very warm and welcoming. And I appreciate the hospitality that her and Nora showed me. And I I was trying to think about how can I describe who Madame Gandhi is because she is a DJ. She is a drummer. She's played with Thievery Corporation and MIA. She is an activist. She's a speaker. She's a songwriter. And she's currently on tour with the Oprah 2020 Vision Tour. And she does so many different things. And it always amazes me how to classify someone like this. And I'm just going to classify her as awesome. We'll just leave it at that. And she has so many life experiences. I mean, she went to Georgetown. She went to Harvard. She worked at Interscope Records. Lots of experience under her belt. And 
she's young. She's relatively young. So it's not like we're talking to someone who's 75 and had all of these years to accumulate all these experiences. So a very amazing, inspiring conversation that I'm so excited to share with you. And I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with the one and only Madam Gandhi. First of all, thank you for having me here. This place is amazing. Thank you. Uh, I was just looking around and I was like, considering a move now Good. because I, we're in so we're, we're in downtown LA and you have like I just want to paint the picture a little bit so we're in a studio that is primarily yellow so I think we should start there about the color yellow and what it means to you sure yeah so we're in my loft in downtown LA where I live and cre create and produce music and I think interestingly when I was at business school you know they're always recruiting for all the tech companies and I remember um, and I'm happy to answer your question about yellow in a moment, but I speak about that often, so I'll get to yeah. it. Um, but what's a little bit more interesting is I remember they would recruit us for Facebook or for YouTube or Spotify even. I would go in these tours to see the office, and the first mm -hmm. thing they're trying to advertise is like, look, this is our video game room, and this is our beer on tap, and this is our kombucha on tap, and this is our um, you know, dry cleaning on site, and all these <laughs> different things, right? And so I was like, okay, you know, those things don't lure me in. That's not as appealing. But the general concept of designing a space that's conducive to more aspects of your life beyond just the actual work is a really interesting takeaway from what tech is doing. And mm -hmm. obviously they're doing it just to keep their employees at the location right, for right, as right. long as possible by feeding people, et cetera. But I took that mentality when I started creating my own space here in downtown LA five years ago. And I said, what are all the things that I love to do? Well, I love to work out. So we have weights and, you know, the punching bag and jump rope and space to be able to work out. You know, mm -hmm. we can do lunges um, from one side of the loft to the other. You know, right. we get a 30 minute, 45 minute workout in. I love to be able to cook and make simple vegan meals. So I have a little kitchenette. I love to be able to produce music, so I have my studio here. I love to be able to meditate and have time for yoga and things like that, so I have an elevated stage where I can do that. But then we also have the drum set where I can perform and practice on my stage. Mm -hmm. I love to be able to host people so I can bring people into this space and host parties and events and community gatherings. So just taking that mentality from tech and saying, what are all the aspects that I need to thrive and how do I have them in one location was really mm -hmm. important to me. I think, one, you've done a great job doing it. Um, the other side of that is you mentioned all of these things, right? So like I'm sort of the type of person where uh, I like having my hands in multiple different things and like anytime someone, if there's a good idea that comes up or a project to work on, I'm like, yeah, we can do that. And not thinking like, oh, that's going to be more time that I have to commit to something. Uh, how do you juggle all of the things that you do and how do you prioritize what deserves your time and what doesn't or what is worth pursuing and what doesn't? Like even with producing, playing, speaking, working out, like all of these things, I, I, you know, for you, I'm sure you're like, well, it's just what I do, but how do you do that? Is there a, yeah. I'm knocking down all of these cards it's on your table. Right. We have a lot of uh, beautiful holiday <laughs> cards uh, sitting on the table that the two of us are at. And, and I'm Italian, nice. I talk with my hands, so, so I'm going to set no these back up. I didn't even bat an eye. So to answer your question, um, you know, I have an answer for that, but it, I, I recently was at the Prince um, Paisley Palace, you know, mm -hmm. in Minnesota, where he lived and worked and, and had people come through and visit and party and whatever. And there's an interview that he says, and he's like, I only do things for fun. I don't do things for my career. And honestly, that's, that is truly how I feel. Um, I remember years ago, I gave a TED talk at, uh, at the Brooklyn TEDx conference in 2013. And I gave a talk on this idea called Atomic Living, 
which is really doing in the moment what feels energizing, exciting, fun, like you actually want to do it. And because for all the different things that I do, whether it's performing or producing, I've experienced what it feels like to do those things when it feels fun, when it feels exciting, when it feels in the flow, doing it in any other context is never as as interesting or as as rewarding. Right. And so that's really how I try my best to optimize my time. Now, of course, we have to schedule certain things in advance, but I think you saw even just a moment ago, I have no shame in trying to reschedule things that don't feel exciting or energizing in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest, after our podcast, I would much rather go work out for two hours than go and do another interview that I'm supposed to do. Right. That's the truth. Right. So I gave him a call to at least see if I have the option. Just test to, the waters a little that. bit and say, yeah. hey, can we move this? So or? they just responded and they said, hey, we're not available for three weeks. Now in three weeks, I'm in India, so I can't. So I'll honor my original commitment. But had they said, yeah, you can come through the studio next week, I would have absolutely taken that option. And once you and I had finished our interview, I would have gone and worked out for two hours. Got you. Got you. Do you have a typical day or no? Or is every day completely different? I try to hit my main things. I try to hit um, my fitness. I try to hit some sort of activism or feminism, whether it's even through my social media or something far more um, touch-based, like in person. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I try to hit something related to my music. So to me, I see that in three different ways. Either I'm creating music, I'm performing music, or I'm managing my music, meaning I'm out at a Grammy event and meeting incredible people who can help me advance my career, or I'm practicing the drums, or I'm practicing my DJ stuff, mm-hmm. or, or I'm making a new song. Um, and I do, I really do believe the three, are, and all of these different things um, work synergistically. Mm-hmm. Yesterday I had gone for a boxing class and when I was in the garage leaving and heading to my car to, to head out, in the parking lot I remember I just started singing because uh, I really liked the acoustics of the parking lot. And so I was recording that in my phone. And I think had I not had that workout, I wouldn't have opened up, you know, some channels to even feel inspired to like start right. singing and writing. So we think that writing is like you get up at six in the morning and you like get at your computer and you're writing a song. But for me, it comes in moments where I feel loose and inspired and open. Mm-hmm. And to me, it sounds like more, it's more of like, almost like work-life integration and not work-life balance, right? Where you're like flipping a switch on and off where you're like, mm-hmm. I'm working now, I'm working out, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing this, okay, turn this thing on and mm-hmm. turn this thing off. It just seems like they're all sort of, it's like a, almost like a snow globe of this like, yeah. you know, where like everything is sort of working it's, together while you're working out, you're thinking of music, while, yeah. you're, while you're, you know, you're playing music, you may be thinking about something else or channeling some other thing. Definitely, or, like I'll tell you another example too, even in the boxing gym yesterday, it was all women who were mm-hmm. taking the class. Interestingly, you think of boxing as a very masculine activity. Right. Not one man was in the class taking the boxing class at Rumble, which has got like a very gender neutral identity. In mm-hmm. fact, it's probably more masculine leaning because of the hip hop music that they're playing. And I just was analyzing the situation and I was like, you have all women taking the class and yet you're blasting this hip hop music where every other word is some sort of derogatory phrase towards women and girls. And that's just because much of the music of our time does tolerate normalized misogyny. Right. But the fact that the business is not thinking intelligently about that and saying, hey, maybe the beats really work for our fitness class because they're uplifting and they're high energy. Of course, that makes sense. But how do we also find music that's not oppressing the very clientele that's keeping our business alive? Right. So even participating in a workout class, it's hard for me to shut my mind off and be like, I'm fully working out. I'm still right. 100% analyzing What's the demographic of people who can afford a class like this? How can it be all Caucasian women taking a class that's playing only hip-hop music? And ironically, the hip-hop music is using words that are insulting to the people taking the class. You know, there's so many levels that no one 
things to analyze. Yeah. So yes, in short, it is a snow globe, and I, <laughs> I do enjoy doing things that way because it feels it feels like it's in the flow. The the interesting example that you just gave about you have all these women that are in a boxing gym and there there's derogatory music about them that's being played. Out of out of however many people were, were in that gym, if there was ten women in there, how many of them do you think made the same comparison that you did? And like and how does like how does Rumble go about trying to fix that problem? Or yeah. or do you think they're paying they're even paying attention to it? Or because I agree, because like I remember years ago, we would we like in college when we were in the club, right? And I'm like, there's all these women out on the dance floor dancing, and I'm like, these songs are problematic to say the least. Right. To say the least, right. right? And I'm like, first of all, they don't maybe they're not even listening to what what it's is going on, um, and it's like it's always been that way, yeah, right? And I think so. How do you think? How do we? How do how do how does that get addressed? Because yeah. it starts at the top, right? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of things. I do think it does take um, the consumer to not tolerate that music, so that mm-hmm. it's not consumed. Um, I think the less we consume it, the less it'll be made. Things how do made how do you money. stop? How do you educating the consumers? Do you think that's one. the for me? That's a huge one. I think like how do you stop consuming? I guess is what it is. Like how do I how if I if I didn't like something that I was hearing like it's on the radio or whatever is it just a matter of like turning the radio off yeah i think obviously turning the radio off is a huge one um or just changing the channel uh you know in la i love 91.5 or 88.1 which are the jazz and classical stations Mm -hmm. you know i love those both um and then kcrw as well um but i think it's you know Every time I go into Rumble, every time I go into even sweat yoga and places like that, I always do have a conversation very gently with the instructor. And I really do say, like, this class is so good and you have mostly women taking your class and you're playing this music without thinking twice about it. And most of the time when I give that feedback, they already know and they already agree. And they're like, yeah, or my boss told me I had to play this or, you know, this is what's in the, the default mix or... You know, but many clients like the uh, beat of it, and it's really hard to find music that has this beat without these lyrics, and most people don't listen to the lyrics, so we continue to play it anyway. Um, I think many folks who might be femme or female identifying who are on a dance floor, they've already done that work of separating the two in their mind, where they've just had to almost say, I'd rather have fun than resist. Like, it takes more energy and emotions to resist something than to just enjoy the aspects that do work for you, which is the beat and the fun and you're out with your friends and you're feeling good in your body and whatever it is. Right. Um, so I, yeah, it's a very difficult topic actually. And it's funny that you, you know, that you're allowing me to talk about it because I have a, I got into the TED fellowship this year and I'll be giving a TED talk at the official conference in Vancouver in awesome. April. And this is the topic that I've chosen um, for my for my talk. And I've never given it in such a formal capacity before. So It'll be fun the next couple of months to really dig in and figure out how do I tell this story in a way that's intelligent and compelling. Yeah, I think that the from from my perspective, right? I'm a white male, right? And I've never so like I've never not. I don't want to say that I didn't. I haven't thought about these things, but uh, they're much more at the forefront of everyone's mind uh, who's female, female identifying, and. And trying to figure out, like, I had a conversation with my sister over the over Christmas holiday, and she was saying that, like, you know, we don't real you don't realize how bad it is, and like at the macro level, 
it is it's horrible right not only not only the lyrics and the and the content but how women have been treated in the entertainment business as a whole we already know all of that um how much how much have you seen of that in in your career and like how much has it sort of gotten in your way because i feel like you're the type of person that's like oh i see this thing that's in my way and i'm going to talk about it yeah. very loudly and let everyone know that this is standing in my way and that's how i'm going to get over this hurdle um, but I don't think that people are as brave as you and as strong as you to do no, that. No, I think I take a different strategy, actually. I don't, I really don't work or liaise with, with many folks who are white male identifying, just because luckily we've been in a situation where many women, and not only women, because women often don't think of themselves as allies 100% of the time, mm -hmm. you know, some women contribute to the problem in a way because that's worked and benefited their own career, so... I don't align with them either. Right. But many because folks, there is a double standard there, there sometimes, well, right? I wasn't even going to say double standard, but more just participating in the sort of uh, aggressive behavior of leadership that we reward. So like, you know, slamming a phone or being rude or being um, short or being irritable, you know, is sort of right. the glorified music industry way of, you know, quote unquote, getting shit done. Right. And I've never subscribed to that way of behaving. I don't think aggressive in any context makes sense. But if we see male leaders who have done that and done it successfully, of course, the next wave of, of female leaders either think they have to copy that behavior in order to be taken seriously Got or you. they'll be weeded out. So that's more what I meant. Got you. Um, but I do think the biggest way I've been successful is to make alliances with folks who share my mission of valuing feminine styles of leadership, being emotionally intelligent, being... Uh, being passionate enough to want to use music for social change, mm -hmm. um, understanding when someone's doing something different and wanting to uplift that instead of oppress that. And that's how I've personally navigated my time in the industry. Now that said, um, there's an opportunity for me right now uh, to, to work with a label. And the two folks who are the A&R folks are definitely you know, Caucasian cis men who mm -hmm. are recruiting me to be to, for a great deal. And it's an interesting dynamic for me because I feel really grateful to be seen um, and supported. But I also have a, uh, maybe I'd like to say a healthy level of fear, you know, mm -hmm. of what that interaction might look and feel like. So I'm definitely branching out, but I definitely think my success thus far has been circumventing certain types of gatekeepers who I don't align with right. values-wise and only aligning with those who might be in a gatekeeping position but share my same ethos. Got you. So why, why music and why, uh, why did you choose to be a performer and, and a speaker? And I look at you as, like a, as an activist. Um, but you had mentioned like you went to business school, like you went to Harvard, you know, like why did you not go into technology? Did you feel more of a draw? Did you feel like you could do more good by going through music and being a speaker and a producer yes. and a DJ? Yes, I think so. I think um, when I first got asked to give a TED talk in 2013, it was between my two years of business school. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I got asked to give that talk is because my first year of business school, I was touring the world drumming for MIA. Mm -hmm. So I would go to class Monday through Friday and then hop on a plane and go play whatever weekend show we had in Japan or in Poland or in Argentina and then come back to business school and be right, uh, you know, butt in my chair Monday morning. Right. And a friend of mine found out that story and asked me to give this talk. I was so nervous for the talk because it was the first time doing something like that in my life and I was 24. 
Uh, but the talk went extremely well. And to this day, people tell me that the talk really helped them make tough decisions in their life. And that was the first time where I realized the value of public speaking and my own passion for it and the mm -hmm. fact that I enjoy it when many people fear it. And the desire to be an educator, the desire to inspire other people, the desire to use both my music and my public speaking as a way to make the world better. So when you get a taste of something that energizes you, that you both enjoy and other people like to receive, that's how you know you have to be doing that. Mm -hmm. So that's really what made me feel like when I graduated business school, I was much more interested in being a performer on my own terms, on my own project, and using everything that I had learned as a business school student and applying it to my own, uh, my own music. So what does, what does Madam Gandhi look like if, you're, if you go the other direction? Like, There's no Madam Gandhi. It's just Kieran Gandhi, the office nerd. Like, it doesn't even. And, and I and I was like what the did, worst did you employee. You... I worked at Interscope for two years in a full time job. And if you ask my boss, Brooke Michael, who now works um, at the company that that puts on Coachella, uh, you know, she would be like, Kieran was fine, but she would be late all the time. And like, I mean, I just I just wasn't I wasn't meant to be an employee. Like, right. I'm always late to things, uh, as you experienced firsthand. And um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I do good work because I'm smart, but I was always asking, can I work remotely? I was like 22 years old. Like, it's the most inappropriate question you can ask when you're 22. But I would be like, is it okay if I take Friday off because I really want to go to this co like festival in Paris? Or like, I really want to go to New Orleans for Jazz Fest. Right. And after a while, my boss is like, we just hired you. Like, people are dying for this position. <laughs> and you're asking for a week off to go to Iceland. And I was like, I'll work remotely, da, da, da. So... <laughs> Yeah, I think I enjoyed my time being at an office. I loved being at Interscope to learn as much as I did, to be mentored. But um, I do think structure is something that I don't enjoy, mm -hmm. um, whereas many people thrive in that environment. And many people would say, oh my gosh, I get an amazing salary and healthcare and all my food and expenses covered and I make amazing friends. Like, I would love to work at a place like Spotify. Right. For me, I'm like, I already have all those things. Like, I don't, I'm not, those things don't excite me or energize me. Yeah. For somebody else, they might say, oh my gosh, Kieran, you have to travel every single week for your work? Like, that sounds exhausting. I'm like, for me, I can't wait. I'm, I totally get both sides of that. Right. Like, I have the conversation. Uh, I mean, my wife is that way where she's like, mm -hmm. I need structure. Yeah. I don't want to travel. And she travels for work. She's like, I don't want to travel. Right. Like, I just want to be home. And me, I'm like, I've been home for four days. I need to, like, Go I always something. say, I'm like, every time a plane is in the air, I wish I was on it. <laughs> That's you know, amazing. I'm like, I just, I'm the same way. So and, I get it. And you know, the fact that you know that about yourself, like for anybody listening to this podcast, I really do think we all have to be brave enough to optimize for our own joy. And I say that because many of us feel a sense of guilt or a sense of fear of privilege. I really believe if you're using your privilege to make yourself feel whole and happy, you will then be in a position to give mm -hmm. and to make the world better and to sort of be living out your life's course. If you use your privilege to oppress others, to stand on the backs of others, to do shady things, try to finesse the system, then you know that's not what we're talking about. Right. That's not optimizing for your own joy. That's optimizing for your own greed. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think if all of us paid attention a little bit more to the things that make us feel like, oh my God, I, I can't wait to do that again. Right. That's where we have to double down because then you're having good vibes 24-7. How do you think that people can start to go down that road? So, Because it's almost like a form of, of like 
selfishness, which will lead to the ultimate like selflessness, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, if I can be the best version of myself mm-hmm. and I can be totally, I need to be selfish in my own mm-hmm. in my own time for a little while to sort of figure this out, then I can be the best person I can be. Sure. So I'm not resentful or angry. Or I think it's this whole self-care movement that's happening. It just has the wrong face to it. Like people think self-care is like, at least for, for women, it's like getting a massage or getting a facial or getting a, a pedicure, these kinds of things. For me, of course, those are wonderful, enjoyable things. Mm-hmm. But to me, self-care is actually something, an action you yourself do for you because there's work involved. To show up for a massage, it's like anyone could do that. Just you have 80 bucks or whatever, right. 200 bucks in your pocket, like, or how much ever massages cost these days. But, you know, for me, self-care is like, have I taken myself to the gym? Have I forced myself to get into bed an hour extra tonight? Have I actively brought my water bottle on the road with me so I remember to fill it, you know, and do the work of hydrating? Right. Have I done my meditation every morning? This is self-care because it's work that only benefits you and nobody else. Mm-hmm. And the more you do that, the more you develop a sense of self-respect. And that is self-care. Very different than what America likes to brand as self-care, which is like, oh, just buy this and buy that. It's all bullshit. Yeah, well, that's the capitalization. That's the capitalist system that we all live in. So for me, it is about those. What are the actions that you bravely are taking? You know, in Harvard, I was brave to say I'm not interested in going on these bougie yacht parties that y'all throw or like these cheesy, you know, networking events that might have free this and free that. I'm not interested. I would much rather get eight hours of sleep tonight and wake up and go train for my marathon tomorrow morning, which is what I would do. Right. So, yeah. What about if what about if people are in a situation where they know that they should be doing something else? Like if they're working at Interscope and they're like, I hate this, or yeah. I'm like stuck, or the opposite, like I don't have any structure and I need because I think it's I think it's hard once you're married or you have mm-hmm. kids or you have a mortgage and you have this totally. and you have that and you have all these responsibilities and you're like, I know that there there's some sort of greater purpose or I want to play drums more you know or whatever it is I think you can live atomically in any context if you have an hour extra you know it's about saying I'm not going to watch Netflix during that hour I'm going to do a meditation I'm going to read a book you know I'm saying that from personal experience even last night all I wanted to do was come on and just mute out and watch something on my iPad but instead I didn't do that and I Force myself to just try to breathe and go to bed and mm-hmm. sleep, you know, instead of say, spending an extra hour doing something that's not beneficial. Not beneficial. Right. It's yeah. just like any you you don't actually mute your mind. Watching something that's so bright keeps the pituitary gland activated, so you actually find it harder to fall asleep. I really yeah. do believe that. So, this is an example. I think you can live atomically in any um, within any larger structure, any larger set of commitments. Finding those granular moments, you know. Mm-hmm. Because I think that a lot of times, the, particularly the music industry and, and let's just say the drumming industry because it's a drumming podcast, like it's you're either you're it's like you're all in or you're all out. Right. So like if you have a full time job and you play on the weekends, then you haven't made it. Right. Or like if you're not playing full time uh, and and like if you're not on a major tour or something like that, you haven't made it. Or And, and I think that people are like, well. I can't, I don't want to put an extra hour in here or an hour in there because it's not going towards something. It's not going towards something. But I disagree with that. I think yeah. it is going towards something. You know what something. it is? It's like 
A, it's like a symptom of grass is greener. Mm -hmm. And it's also kind of like the Tom Sawyer. Like, there's a story about Tom Sawyer, like Huckleberry Finn. Like, I love this story. So, like, Huckleberry Finn walks by Tom Sawyer and sees him having to paint his aunt's fence white. Probably because he had a punishment or something. Huck Finn's, like, making fun of Tom. He's like, sucks for you, man. It's a Saturday. And Tom's like, are you kidding? I love this job. I'm getting a tan. I'm building my muscles. I'm learning how to paint. Like, this is amazing. In fact, if you wanted to paint, I would charge you 10 cents. And so Huckleberry's like, oh, damn, like, maybe I do want to paint. All right, like, here's 10 cents. Damn, I want to get in on this. So then he's got Huck painting. Then the next kid comes over, 10 cents. The kid wants to join <laughs> the painting. Huck, now not only is Tom making money off of his punishment, he's doing it in half the amount of time because <laughs> he got the whole kids on the block <laughs> painting for him. So the thing is really that story I always love telling because it's kind of like when you own whatever your narrative is when you are happy like i mean that's he's kind of finessing yeah right. but more the point is when you're happy doing something when you're like this is dope this is awesome it doesn't matter what you're doing you can have a desk job from 8 a.m to 9 p.m at night but if you're hype on it how can anyone say anything to right. you you're happy yeah so I really that's the think ultimate about that. that's the ultimate yeah. uh measurement stick right exactly exactly honestly like there's some, you know, there's somebody in my life, she has a full-time day job at an electrical engineering uh, company, and then she uh, will spend three hours in the gym after work. And she's, her happiest time is doing those three hours after work, right. you know, in the gym. She's yep. so happy. I never see her smile so big than when she's in the gym. For somebody else, they might be like, oh, I deserve to not go to the gym because I worked hard today. You know, yeah. for her, she can't wait to get off and go to, the, go gym. to the gym. That's her bliss. Yep. So sometimes I look at her, I'm like, how can you be so content? You have this day job, you have to get up every day at 5 a.m. You're so happy with yeah. it, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's really about that. Hey, are you tired of coated drum heads chipping and flaking after only a few hours of play? Tired of premature denning and breakage? Well, welcome to the next generation of coated drum heads, Evan's new UV coating technology. They're made with proprietary inks and a new UV-like curing process, so these heads are able to withstand strikes, brush strokes, and rim shots better than anything on earth. That means you get to play heads that sound and look fresh for longer, and you can spend less time tuning and modifying and changing heads. They're available in one-ply and two-ply, as well as Evans' proprietary hydraulic and EMAD systems. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com. So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like. Or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch, or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, all of that stuff. And you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view, you can get a 3D image of it. All of that is all built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 dash drumsystem.com or just google sonar sq2 you'll find it check it out the sonar drum configurator i think the the interesting thing is that like if you like for like for me for example like touring drummer right i toured for 20 years and then i started having like other interests wow. right and i started to feel guilty about having other interests right. that weren't 
drum related. I was like, if this doesn't fit in the drum box, like I was like hiding under, you know, like hiding it under the carpet. So like no one would find out. Then I'm like, wait a minute, this is my life. I'm happy doing these things. Like what? And I'm like, and nobody even cares what you're doing anyway. I know because everyone's focused on themselves. That's the funny thing. Right. Yeah. And with drumming, um, I love reinventing my my own relationship to my drums. Mm Um, especially the more you do it on a stage and professionally. Right now, I'm doing this Oprah tour, right, and I'm drumming. which I want to talk about. Yeah, too, yeah, that's I'm super drumming. Interesting. We can go into it right now. I'm doing this amazing nine stadium uh, Oprah 2020 Vision tour, where me and an organization called Daybreaker open the entire day long event, 9 a.m. every Saturday with a morning dance party, and we get everybody up on their feet in the entire stadium. We basically throw a house party, but for 30 minutes before Oprah gets on the stage. And That's we play awesome. all the songs that that demographic, you know, would, would be familiar with. Things mm-hmm. like Ain't No Mountain High Enough to Rolling in the Deep by Adele, um, to Whitney Houston, and, and all these amazing hits. And we have a horn section that marches out into the auditorium, into the stadium. Right. I play the first drum beat, and then we continue playing these big uh, Dun Dun African drums, West African drums uh, for the entire stadium. And it's very, very rewarding. And I think that's a perfect example of just continuously making sure that I have a different relationship to my own drums that's ever evolving. Mm-hmm. And I haven't played dunduns in almost 10 or 15 years. And it was my suggestion to use those instead of taiko drums uh, for this particular performance. And I'm glad that they, you know, took me, yeah. listened to my advice on that. Uh, and then even when I DJ, I'll be DJing the Grammy Museum uh, brunch during the Grammy weekend. And... I play live percussion while I DJ. So that's another way of incorporating my own chops and my own beats into the DJ set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, I play drums in my own live show as Madame Gandhi. So just making sure I have always different relationships to my drums makes me feel energized by it. Mm-hmm. How do you, this is sort of a, a, a bigger question <clears throat> and sort of goes back a little bit too, but like I want to talk a little bit about your career arc because I think it's, a, I think it's something that other people can at least try to model or, or understand it because I think that there's so many people that are like, okay, I'm here, how do I get to there, right? How do I get to the point where I have my hands in a bunch of different things or I'm playing, you know, I'm touring with people or I have my own solo projects and I'm getting, I can do all these different yeah, things. I think the best is I, you really can't reverse reverse engineer somebody else's career. That's the number one thing that I've learned. I'll definitely share my story. Uh, but I will say that if you looked at my story on paper, you might say like, this feels like it's all over the place. But for me, because each of those steps really were as discussed previously from a place of joy, like in the, the Kieran of... 2012 and 2013 was really excited about the idea of drumming on a tour and also getting my MBA like that felt awesome The Kieran of 2011 was really excited to get her first job in the music industry So like those different choices felt so exciting and energizing that they led to the next thing in a very fluid way Mm -hmm. Um, If I had done something that was like, okay Well, this really sucks now, but as long as I tolerate it for four years, it'll suck less in the future I don't know that strategy is something that many of us are taught to take. It's never worked for me Yeah, it's never worked for me. So being honest about that and and shedding that perception is really important and my story you know speaks to that so I went to Georgetown as an undergrad in my intention, and I had always been playing the drums since I was a young person. I started the drums when I was maybe eight or nine years old at a summer camp, simply because I um, didn't want to do the like swimming activity that they had in the afternoon. So I like escaped to the theater cabin and saw a drum set in the corner and just started playing and really took to it. Um, and my, my parents were encouraging. They got me a drum set. I was taking lessons in Times Square in Manhattan. And we went to Georgetown 
I was a math major, I was a women's studies major, I was a political science major. I thought I was going to go out and work in Capitol Hill or in the government because even as a kid I loved public speaking, I loved being on student government, things like that. Mm -hmm. But every time I would do these internships, I would be bored out of my mind and I would see the corruption even as a young person. I understood there was a lot of twisted stuff that was happening yeah. that I didn't connect with, that didn't feel inspiring. You think you will work in Capitol Hill or for the mayor's office, you'd be inspired. Yeah. I was underwhelmed to say the <laughs> least. And I remember that feeling, you know, and I remember being brave enough to tell my dad, I don't, for my senior year, I don't want to go work at the White House. And he was so mad at me. We had this big fight at the really? dinner table. He was so mad. He was like, what do you mean? You missed the deadline last year. You must apply this year. It's going to be so good for your resume. This kind of mentality, yeah. you know. And which is what we're taught, right? Which is what we're taught. And also, I don't have any anger because parents genuinely do what they really think is the best for their kids, you know. Uh, so that's what that conversation looked like. And I remember being like, no, I have an opportunity to intern at Thievery Corporation's record label in D.C. And I drum for their uh, touring band called CI. I sit in on congas. It's very integrated. Mm -hmm. I want to work for their record label in the daytime and sit in on drums for their different gigs in the nighttime around the city. That feels cool. I'm right. in with the band. I'm cool with the <laughs> What'd Rastas. What your dad have to say about that? I, my dad had nothing to say about that. He was pissed. He was pissed. Um, sorry if that peaked in our podcast, but um, uh, I remember just still sucking it up and just, and not sucking it up, like sucking up the fact that he was upset, yeah. but doing the internship anyway. Mm -hmm. And because I did that internship, I got the chance to sit in on drums because a percussionist couldn't make it for the Bonnaroo show. Wow. So Thievery Corporation gets invited to play Bonnaroo in 2010. I'm 21 years old, never done a tour in my whole life. And the first major gig that I've done is on Bonnaroo. It was a wrap. Was that the f second year of Bonnaroo? No, it's been around. When, when did Bonnaroo come out? I feel like it's been around for a long time. At least when I played 2010, it was like a full-on festival. It didn't feel fledgling. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry. No, I, no, it's okay. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And that definitely made me feel like, whoa, I want to feel like this all the time. This is awesome. Um, and I got paid to do it. Like, that, that was amazing unto itself. Right. Uh, and then when I graduated Georgetown, I got my first job working at Interscope because I had hustled to see whatever alumni, you know, the 12 alumni who worked in music after graduating a place like Georgetown, you know, I hit up all of them mm -hmm. and one of them brought me in and I got a job at Interscope as their first ever data analyst. My math degree, in fact, got me that job. Right. And, and, and you know, like I said, I was a math major because I thought it was fun, mm -hmm. you know, and and that was the thing that got me my job in the music industry. So yeah, I did Interscope for two years. I drummed for MIA while I was at Harvard Business School. I graduated in 2015. I ran this marathon in 2015, um, bleeding freely on my menstrual cycle. And I wrote about it on my blog. And this had happened right when I was graduating school. And I didn't think anything would happen. But this story ended up going viral. And so I just graduated Harvard. I was just trying to get back up on my feet, figuring out what I'm doing next. And this story takes off. And I get invited to speak all over the world about gender liberation, about menstrual health and hygiene, about access to menstrual care. I mean, I was never a menstrual activist before this, right. but I was very much a gender libertarian. You know, mm -hmm. I had studied women's studies. I understood lack of access. I understood stigma. And I think I would get invited to speak, I would get better at it, I would be asked to perform. I started writing my own music, and that's really how the Madame Gandhi project uh, was born and has operated in the last four years. Got you. The, the interesting thing that, that I picked up on was like, 
the the fighting with your dad where you're like I he wants you to go this direction and you're like I'm going to go this direction and like you said your parents just want what's best for you but I think that if if we can stick to our guns and say no look this is the thing that I promise you like this is the right decision and it's going to make me happy and I'll be I'll be fine everything will be okay I think if you can wade through that water and get to the other side, I think then I'm sure now your dad is like, okay, you made the right decision. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's funny because I keep thinking that it'll feel like that, but it always feels like, what's the next step? You know, my dad's right. like, okay, so like, is your music on the radio? And I'm like, oh man, right. <laughs> like, right. well, I don't know about that, but yeah. uh, I'm out here doing my best. No, but it's very sweet. I think my dad and my mom have really opposite parenting styles. So right. I think I kind of benefit from the best of both. Whereas mm-hmm. my mom definitely exhibits that really healthy, unconditional love she's not asking me about my career every 10 seconds she's really excited for the things that I put out she's really excited to just take care of us as kids even though we're grown Mm -hmm. Um, and that feels really loving and and healthy and then my dad is like yeah what's next how's the finances you know where are you going when are you gonna get a real job what no no he doesn't say that he doesn't say that he's definitely he's definitely on board that I'm doing music independently right he's definitely on board for that which is amazing and that's a good feeling but in the context of that, he's definitely looking for those traditional accolades, right. which is great. I mean, who who doesn't want to have their music playing on the radio? Of course. So, so I appreciate both styles. And then I was going to add, add one more comment, which I thought you, had, you asked a great question. Um, uh, playing music. Well, anyway, I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to it. It's just, it's, it's interesting, uh, like, seeing if, because I, I totally get it. Like, I grew up in my parents' business, and they're like, well, you're going to do this, right? And I'm like, no, I want to go do this other thing. And, like, even last year, my dad's like, so when are you going to, like, oh, get serious about your career? And right. I'm like, dad, I own two businesses and, like, employ people. Wow. Like, things are good. Things you know? are like, amazing. But it's just like. And you're doing inspiring things. So trying, funny. but I get inspiring people to talk. That's what it is. That's awesome. uh, what were you, what you were going to say? Yeah, I was going to say that I remember you were talking about like, you know, telling your parents, just hold off, just trust me, da da da. I think I really did have this intrinsic sense of self though, that like, I'm trying to get a job at Interscope Records, which is home to like U2 and Lady Gaga and like some of the biggest pop artists in the whole world. Like in my mind, I was like, I know they don't know, but they know what Lady Gaga is. They know what U2 is. They right. know who Jimmy Iovine is. They know what healthcare and yeah. a full-time salary is. This is, is. a major corporation. This is a major yeah. corporation. Right. Um, I'm not talking about like busking on the Santa Monica promenade <laughs> right. and like, you know. Figuring it out. Yeah. yeah. And not that that's an issue either because some of the best musicians have been discovered on the promenade. I was just not, that, that was not my path. And right. I did feel this sort of sense of self, like I know that I'm hardworking, I know that I want success for myself, not to quote unquote please my parents, but just right. to feel right for myself sure. um, and to feel happy. So I think it was that that intrinsic trust that also really does help. And I think times in my life when I don't have that self-trust, I really do try to dig deep and say like, what's speaking to me right now? What feels really good? Right. And not that you need to hear from me, but I think you made the right decision. Thank you. So, Thank you. Uh, so where can people go if they want to keep an eye on what you got going on? Like, is it should they go to your site, go on social media? Where's the best love, place to go? I would love if you all stayed in touch on my Instagram, madamgandhi.com, or at madamgandhi, and then, of course, my site, madamgandhi.com. Uh, I just put out a music video this week. The music video is for my song called See Me Through, like see something through, see a, see a mm-hmm. relationship through, see me through. And it's a really vibey electronic R&B track with my drums to the front. Nice. And in the music video, you see me playing this really gorgeous um, translucent uh, acrylic clear DW kit. 
and then we put uh, the cymbals on the set, but we spray painted them silver so that they match the aesthetic of the drum set really nicely. I like it. And then my outfit is also in this kind of white silver world. And it's very retro and future at the same time. And then we show my two friends who directed it are a married couple who also star as the two lovers in, the, in oh, this cool. piece. And it's a really... Uh, it's a really sensual, beautiful video, if I may say so. so. And I will, I'll make sure to put it on the show notes for the page and everything, so we'll link up to that. I'd love that. Um, and also, I want to, one, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to, one, invite me into your, I think this is your sanctuary, so I appreciate you uh, allowing me to come in here. I appreciate the open, honest conversation that you're willing to have and I also respect what you're doing where you're trying to not only push women's rights forward but but just human rights in general so the health I, of the industry too yeah and yeah. I applaud you for that so thank I love you so being much on your podcast second time through second yeah. time we've gotten to work together yeah it's Here's been to many more yeah likewise thank you thank you I owe it all to you I owe it all to you and me with me I get so inspired by you a yellow love near a purple sea I'll make the bed and lay a table for two I've been lost for a little while seeking my truth like a little child baby so come share that last spirit with me There you have it, the one and only Madam Gandhi. And go to the show notes. Go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 548. And I have a link to her new video, See Me Through. And it's a great video. It's super cool. And and she's playing drums in it. She's singing in it. Of course she is because she does 11 different things. But check it out. It's in the show notes. And also you can visit madamgandhi.com if you want to learn more about her and again uh sorry for the delay in the podcast and i appreciate everyone's patience i appreciate you being back and listening to another episode and until the next episode keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon drummer's resource is produced by revoice media executive producer nick ruffini that's me edited by justin thomas Video editing by Tomas Shannon and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. Peace.